You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Everybody and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I am your host Matt Bledsoe, and this week we are talking about Larry Fessenden's indie vampire flick Habit from 1985. Uh, to help me talk about it, I'm very happy to be joined once again by the host of the Cult Movies podcast, Anthony King. Anthony, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Thank you for having me on again. It's been a a, a while since we talked, and I love talking with you. And I finally weaseled Habit. Onto somebody's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I would tell this a long time ago to do Habit. Um, and I'm glad we're finally doing it because it has not been talked about that much either. That's the other, it is not a movie I see discussed very much. Um, well, that, that was the one thing I told you. I was like, you know, I, this is my favorite horror movie. It's my favorite horror or my favorite director. Uh, but this is, you're not going to get numbers off of this episode, Matt. <laughs> fine it's fine i don't do this for the numbers uh none of us make money off it i I told someone recently someone asked me like oh i have a i have a podcast like yeah do you make any money off that i laughed and i said no i actually lose money on the deal because i spend money on zoom every month and on podbean to host the podcast so technically i'm in the hole every month (laughs) like yeah that's that's uh, why we had to start a a patreon and i was like all we need is 15 bucks a month for the that's all i need and like when we got like we got up to 20 bucks and i was like that's it we're done i don't i don't care how many i just because yeah people making money on podcasts get out of here nobody makes even the big podcasts don't make money come on right there's uh, there's because i tell people there's podcasts i followed for years and they have good followings and i know they don't have any ads so they aren't making any money, I don't think. Like, no. uh, it's very, very hard to make money in the podcast world unless you're very savvy or very popular. I don't know, but um, do it for the love, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, unless I have thought about starting a Patreon for this show, but I'd only want, I'd want to like cap it. I mean, I don't want to be greedy. I want to get my like thirty dollars I need every month, and then right. say I don't need more Patreons, but you can be one if you want to. <laughs> like, right. Um, but yeah, I don't want people to think I'm greedy. I just, I'm like, and I don't mind paying because it's fun. I'm doing, I'm paying, you know, to talk to people and record it and do it. Uh, but it is funny because someone said, do you make money? I was like, I thought it was like, no, actually I lose money. So that's <laughs> people, indie podcast people. We're not, we're not doing it for the money. No, no, no. <laughs> Anthony is gold jacket. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> His Patreon money coming <laughs> oh, oh, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, but well, this is funny too, because. No, this is two weeks in a row that we've done a vampire movie because oh yeah, Anthony, you've not heard this yet, but uh, Lost Boys episode will yep. be out, so now it's two vampire episodes in a row, and there'll be a vampire movie to close the month of October too. Yes. So I almost thought it was like too late in the game. I was like, oh, I should have gone all in 
on vampire movies, but now it's going to be more like half vampire movies, half other random horror movies for October. But, you know, it's fine. So <laughs> it's just a weird coincidence. I was There's like, oh, lots these- of great vampire movies. That's the thing. There's lots of great vampire movies. There are. Could have filled the schedule very quickly. But <laughs> so um, I should also mention at the top of the show, because there's probably a lot of people who aren't on Twitter who listen to this. I Maybe. I don't know. Um, but at the day me and Anthony recording this is the two-year anniversary of Film Feast. Yeah. Which is <laughs> very exciting because it, it has moved so quickly. I don't, it's like, I don't know how this two years went by so fast, but I uh, just want to say thank everybody for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't know what to say besides that, but I, I thank people on Twitter. But well, you, well yeah. Matt, l- l- let me, let me speak for everybody here saying that the, the fan base, you have such a devoted fan base and like Mike and Daniel and I have, have told you in the past that you have such an open-ended thing here that allows you to talk about whatever the hell you want you did a whole freaking series on tony scott congratulations by the way wrapping (laughs) that up that's huge and um you know you like we were talking about before uh recording here that that you've developed sort of this you know little film feast family with with your regular rotation of guests and and it's a it's a really special thing that uh that you got going here matt so congratulations two years is big Thank you. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I I I don't know how it went by so fast, but also kind of feels like it's been a long time too. It's a weird mix. <laughs> yep. I always say podcasting time is weird. It's like you go like you talk to somebody like, oh, we just did an episode. Oh no, that was six months ago or something. You know, right. it's like the yeah. time is so because you're just like if you're doing weekly, you're just moving, you're putting them out. It's like yep. you just kind of keep pushing along. But um, it's been fun for two years. I want to keep doing it for as long as uh, I can. So um yeah, thank you everyone for listening. I really appreciate it. So uh, enough of that stuff. Enough of that sappy stuff. <laughs> thank you, Anthony. It was very nice of you too. Um, but we could talk about stuff we've seen lately. I mean, you told me you watch a lot of horror movies, so I'm curious what you've been watching. Yeah. Um, well, let me start. So my goal every year is to, and I most people know I don't watch a lot of new movies, but I try to watch as many new horror movies as I can every year. And uh, I try to get to the, uh, 70 to 75 percent mark on on uh, letterbox and i as i'm going through i've watched a lot of really really bad stuff and i've watched some really good gems i'm not going to talk about these indie gems because um i i will have a um article coming out at f this movie on those so i'm going to save that for this i'm going to talk about one of the big ones though uh that i'm a little late to the game on here but uh, the black phone from oh. Scott Derrickson, another Blumhouse joint here, uh, where he he and uh, uh, Chris Cargill have teamed up again to bring us another horror movie. Now, here's the thing: Sinister. I know lots of people love Sinister and they go bonkers for it, and it's it's meh for me. Sin, you know, um, I like Haunting of Emily Rose. Or the exorcism? What is it? I think it's the exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah, yeah. Emily Rose. I like that better than Sinister. One of the few Marvel movies I've seen is Doctor Strange. And I like that because it's got a Derrickson and Cargill flavor to it. Um, so I was a little hesitant coming into the black phone, but I knew I was going to watch it anyways. And uh, I dug it uh, more than Sinister. Um, I think this this main kid, this Mason Thames, is so good. Have you seen the black phone yet, Matt? I did, but you know, I don't think it came up on the podcast for some reason. I don't know if the time I was like 
where what I was recording, so maybe it didn't come up, but I definitely saw it right when it came out and don't think I ever talked about it. So I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, you know, the movie is, it's kind of a standard kidnapping movie and the, you know, the kid uh, has to fight for his life and everything. Uh, the one thing I want to talk about though, is Ethan Hawke's performance in this movie is bananas. And it got me um, making an outline for another article I'm going to do for this movie in in a couple of months here um is it is it a great performance or are they just doing something that they normally don't do and so i was thinking that with ethan hawk like you know he's uh you know he can be a really great romantic lead um but in the black phone he is bananas crazy and wearing these masks and the voice that he does and he's playing this crazy guy he is so great in the black phone um and that's i i think uh for no other reason watch the black phone because of ethan hawk he is so so good in it was really good and i can't think of another role he's played like that like i don't think of him as like some like intimidating scary guy and uh He's really good. The masks help, but he is really good because <laughs> those the mask is amazing. It might be. Is it a Tom Savini design? I feel like I heard it somewhere. Um, uh, it might be. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, but he's he's pretty great. Uh, the kids are really good. The brother and sister. You mentioned so Nathan. good. Both of them. Yeah. What's her name? Madeline McGraw, I think. Yeah. From where is she? She was oh, in, she's another... been in a lot of stuff. Um, oh, no, nothing. Man, Man and the Wasp. Uh okay <laughs> like voices and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. voice uh, acting yeah. like mostly but she's, but really she's really funny good. and like pretty pretty yeah. great um it's it's very intense the crowd i saw it with when it came out was like super into it i feel like everybody was like on the edge of their seat the whole time yeah. um i love how it pays off at the end it's it's pretty great um my one complaint it's not really the movie's fault at all is that i don't know if you saw any trailers for it at all really uh-huh. or the, oh well that's good because the trailers I felt like really laid everything out to the point where you could really put together how we're going to get from, from A to Z in the movie. Like they, they kind of, because you're watching the movie, you're like, Oh, well, it's just going to go how I think it's going to go based on the trailer. And it kind of did, which is not, that's not the movie's fault. I never saw a trailer. I probably wouldn't have known anything, obviously, but it was one of those things where I'm like, Oh, okay. That kind of hit all the beats I expected from the trailer. It was, it was a weird thing where I was afterwards, it's like, Oh, they kind of, they kind of showed us too much. Oh, but, yeah. Well, um, see, that's why I don't watch that's, trailers. That, because, yeah. Shit, it's man. A, you you never a, know. Going good choice. Well, yeah. And, you know, it's they, without spoiling anything, um, uh, well, this will probably spoil a little bit, but, it, you know, they, there's a really nice silence of the lambs moment in the movie, right? Oh, Where, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and like they, I think, uh, Derrickson does a great job at that. And, you know, it's a, it's, they do a, a period piece set in like 1979 Denver or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it all looks good. Uh, I think it, you know, I don't know. It's uh, typical Blumhouse, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I think Jason, Jason Blum does, uh, he never does Derrickson and Cargill dirty. I think, uh, you know, these are the guys that, that, um, are sort of the pillars i feel of blumhouse anyway so um i i I dug the black phone uh it probably won't make my top 10 um horrors at the end of the year but it'll just miss out so 
Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you liked it because I know you don't watch a lot of newer stuff. So yeah. it's like, I'm glad when you actually do what it, it actually is worth your time and not like, oh, this was a real piece of crap. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've watched good. a lot yeah. of pieces of crap. So um, <laughs> always a nice change of pace. Okay. That's good. <laughs> oh. Um, Let's see. Do you want me to do another one here? Yeah. If you want to do one or two more, however you want okay. to do. Uh, I'll do another horror. So um, I'm going to be on F This Movie for Scary Movie Month. And nice. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to say what we're talking about, but uh, you might have a little clue uh, because I'm going to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. I watched oh. that for the first time today. It's the 2006 sequel to the 2003 remake. Um, and so it's sort of, uh, you know, Arlie Army and uh lou temple andrew uh Brunerski is leatherface and so like everybody all the bat the the baddies from the first movie are, are there um and then you have the four uh young adults jordana brewster taylor hanley dior baird and matt bomer and it's um i gave it three and a half stars i dug it it looks like lots of people don't really <laughs> don't really like this one um, I thought it was it was it was good. It wasn't as good as uh, this year's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I really mm-hmm. liked. I did too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, super violent. Uh, but this one is, you know, I love Arlie Army. Uh, you know, he's just he's a real piece of shit in this movie, and it's always fun to see him do that. <laughs> um, but the you know, it's bloody, it's it's dirty. Uh, the man, one of the kills where Jordana Brewster she goes in and she's, she's trying to rescue Matt Bomer, her boyfriend in the movie. And he's like, Leatherface has been peeling his arm away. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I can't feel my arm. You got to cut it off or, you know, do something. And she's trying to unbuckle him. Cause he's strapped down on this table and, and Leatherface comes in, she hides underneath the table. And then he takes the chainsaw and kills Matt Bomer and like, you know, pushes it down through his abdomen, through the table and like saws up and it's going towards Jordana Brewster's face. And it's like splattering her with, with all of his blood and guts and shit. And I'm like, Oh, this is gnarly. This is, <laughs> I dig it. And then the, the, the other moment where she runs and then she hides in one of the barns, like she's in one of the pit for something, but it's full of this disgusting, like blood and goo. Um, and it's real real gross i was i was eating lunch we're gonna push it with a food moment <laughs> it was nasty uh but i really dig this one you know i don't know at this point with texas with with the with all the texas chainsaw movies like what do you expect like that there's no continuity <laughs> don't right. look for that just go along for for whatever they're giving us and i think um this you know, I went in again. I don't watch trailers. I didn't know what the hell this was about. I didn't know that it was a prequel uh, to the remake. And uh, I suppose you could assume with the, uh, <laughs> the beginning, but I had no idea. I Who could it. tell with that continuity? Who knows? <laughs> well, that's the I, thing. Like, you never know what's going to happen. So I but I dig this one. I, I'm sorry to say I'm one of the people that really does not like that movie. <laughs> if you saw my letterbox rating. Because uh, Dirk and I did that episode, oh, I don't know when that was, a few like months ago, yeah. where we, we ranked the whole franchise, and that was my second to least favorite 
only ahead of yeah, remind Leatherface me. from 2017. Okay, that's is, one I haven't seen yet. I even put uh, the Next Generation ahead of, of the beginning. Like I think, and the first time I watched it was years ago, and I thought, oh, this is just so nasty and mean spirited. But yeah. it's like all those movies really are kind of mean spirited. Uh, no. Two might have the lightest tone of all of them. Oh, uh, yeah. It's like, um, and I don't remember what I said with Dirk, but when I rewatched, I thought I might maybe like it more because I was more prepared what I was going in for. But I still don't like that one because it just feels so pointless to me because it's like the prequel to the remake. And we kind of already know where that's going to be because we've seen the one from 2003 and it just is so mean spirit, especially the ending. I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, let me like, give me some glimmer of hope. Like, uh, nope. And it's just, I don't know. I think I just found it like just so, so mean spirit that I just can't really enjoy it. Like at all. Like I know it's got some really gnarly stuff. I mean, they all do, but that one, I felt like, especially it's some super violent stuff in it. I surprised even got away with like MPAA R rating from that one. Like bananas. Uh, so, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm one of the people that does not like that one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I think my taste in movies, uh, I I like mean-spirited movies. Um, you know, I like the really sad movies. I don't know what the hell this all says about me. Uh, but, like, whenever <clears throat> whenever somebody describes a movie as mean-spirited, if I haven't seen it, I'm like, oh, got to see that as soon as possible because I'm probably going to like that. I don't know why. But I don't, you know, I dig them. So. That's funny. Well, I will, I'll give you a little insight here because I do that Discoveries episode with uh, Daniel and Keith every year. Yep. And I was kind of, I always can keep a running list and try to rank at least the top 10. So I kind of know where I'll be at. And I was looking at my top 10 the other day and I'm like, man, am I okay? Because a lot of them are like, de- like depressing, bleak, nice. sad movies. And I'm like, yeah. who am I? Because I, I will always tell people <laughs> I don't usually go to this stuff. But then without thinking about it, you know, it's been over the whole year. I'm like putting them together in the top 10. And when I look at them, it's like a, at a package. I'm like, wow, these are this is not a really pleasant. There's still <laughs> some like lighter, nicer entries in there. But like some of them are like real dark. Um, Like two of them are like, OK, yeah, two of them, like the darkest movies. I think I've bleakest movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's, nice. Uh, it's bananas. Um, And I was like, am I OK? <laughs> It's like, why is this the stuff I'm gravitating toward and rating really highly this whole year? Yeah. But uh, so that'll be fun. We'll see how much that changes. But um, so I always say I'm into that stuff, but maybe I am into that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you know, it's it's so weird. I think it 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 make an interesting sort of uh, self examination. Is it? You know, I like how Erica and Patrick, uh, you know, go back ten years and and check out their top tens. Oh. Um, and like, I think for me, cause I don't do, I don't watch the new stuff, but if I went back and looked at my discoveries, it might show where I was mentally like in that year, maybe. Um, so I think that'd be an interesting exercise or, or maybe is it um, your tastes change through the years? Who knows? But, you know, I think you, you can't really take a good look until you're a decade in right like yeah. keeping track so you actually can see um what's happening but i wish i been keeping track longer because i've only been keeping a top 10 again since like 2015 or 2016 like and i think i kept one in a notebook when i was much younger like in the early to mid 2000s but like there's a a stretch in there for like 10 years where i wasn't keeping a yearly top 10 but i would love to go back and like 
look and see what I was thinking. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Start examining those pigs. I know some things I'll be like, ooh, why did I put that on there? <laughs> but, yeah, you know. It'd be uh, in um, it'd be harder for me because since I only do discoveries and I've been doing it since 2017, I think. So, like, there's no way I could go back and be like, uh, you know, what were my discoveries of 2016? Pff, fuck if I know. I'd, right. <laughs> I don't know what I watched for the first time then because it's only since I've had Letterboxd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I'll talk about one more. So, uh, for <clears throat> again, for F this movie, I was going to write, I'm trying to decide exactly what I want to do uh, for my column in October. And I was going to do like, um, this thing like I was going to call horror of the seventies. So each week I would pick a year from the seventies and like write about like, you know, give 10 movies or something. And then I thought, well, maybe I'd program, I'd do that, but program an all nighter. And uh, I don't like the sound of that. So um, bonus is that I had been watching uh, a handful of movies from 1971 and one of them that I watched for the first time today was Willard from director Daniel Mann. It's the rap movie. Oh, okay. I was going to say, is that the rap movie? <laughs> yeah, sorry. And the original one, not the, uh, not the oh, remake with Chris okay. Glover. Uh, so it's from 1971. It stars Bruce Davison and Ernest Borgnine is in there as a real piece of shit as he, you know, was a lot back then. Uh, Elsa Lanchester, the bride of Frankenstein is in there for a bit. Um, now I, this has been on my radar for a long, 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 long time. And for whatever reason, I just hadn't watched it until today. And speaking of great performances, like I was saying with Ethan Hawke in the black phone, Bruce Davison gives one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in this movie about rats. <laughs> oh, wow. And, okay. I always thought that this was like, it was going to be like a kind of a creepy crawly, almost eco horror type of horror movie. But you know what? It's more of a kind of a dark family movie. Like oh. I would sit down and watch this with my 10 and five year old. And I think they dig it. Um, Cause it's, it's Bruce Davison plays this young man who his dad has died and this guy played by Ernest Borgnine has weaseled his way in and taken over his dad's company and his mom is Elsa Lanchester and she's really sick and like, you know, she's slowly dying because Ernest Borgnine is, you know, he wants to buy the house and he's, you know, trying to take over their lives and everything. Um, he allows Bruce Davison to work there, but treats him like crap and everything. And, at their house, at Bruce Davidson and Elsa Lanchester's house, there are these rats like out by the pool. And she's like, go, go kill the rats. And so he, he goes out there and he's like, oh, they're cute. So <laughs> your friends, two of them, uh, Socrates, he names one Socrates and he names one um, uh, Ben, which is the title of the sequel. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Willard is Bruce Davidson. I, I always thought Willard was the mouth or the rat, but no. <laughs> so, uh, of course, these these rats multiply, you know, like 10 times every day until like he trains them to kind of do his bidding. Um, you know, he plays pranks on people with them. And and uh, but the only sort of horror part comes at the end 
but up until then, it's almost it's almost feels sort of like a, an old school Disney movie from the 60s and 70s. Um, you know, one of those live action movies. And it is so sweet. It's such a sweet movie. I gave it three and a half stars on Letterboxd. Uh, could easily have four, I think. And uh, gosh, I really dug this one. Again, you know, it's it's sort of horror light for people who want to get into scary movie month, but, you know, maybe don't want to go Texas Chainsaw the beginning far <laughs> into it. Uh, you know, go with Willard. And, and like the rats aren't, and I'm not a creepy crawly guy. I don't like bugs or snakes or, or rodents. Um, and so I thought I'd be kind of, you know, shifting in my chair the whole time. They're really cute. Actually. <laughs> and it's not, it, it's, it's not, I, I didn't think it was very creepy crawly with those. So anyways, really great. Bruce, Bruce Davison is fantastic in this movie. He is so great. You know, um, short eyes. If you've never seen short eyes, the prison movie, he's in that. And that's one of the all time great performances. Um, so it's, you know, I don't know why I was so surprised. Bruce Davison was so great. Uh, cause he constantly delivers great performances. So anyways, Willard, check it out. Yeah, I've never seen it. I always have heard about it uh, for years. And I, yeah, I think I thought it was way more of like a dark, scary horror movie. And I didn't, I never thought of it. I never heard about like a Disney movie from the sixties or seventies. I never heard it compared to that. So that's intriguing. It kind of, yeah, it sounds like gateway horror for kids or like, if totally, you want like totally. horror, but not too intense. Okay. All right. I'll have to add that to the list. I don't think it's on my list. So the never ending list as we, as we always yeah, exactly. joke about oh God, keep adding more and more. Right. Yeah. It's, but it's there on the list. So you don't forget it. Uh, and then one day you're like, Oh, I do want to watch that. Right. Um, okay. Anything else or just those three? Nope, okay. I'm good. All right. I have four things, but I can run through them fairly quickly. I think so. Um, have you ever seen Michael Mann's the keep from 1983? Uh, you have not. I see. That's, that's <laughs> like one of two Michael Mann movies I've never seen. It was one of two I had not seen either because I just did the episode on Heat with uh, Brandon Streisand and we were talking about Michael Mann a bunch. Yeah. I had said the only ones of his I haven't seen are The Keep and Ali. Um, are the same two? Hey, yeah. So, <laughs> I did forget. Someone brought up that he did Jericho Mile, which is like a t- I thought it was a TV oh. movie. Is it? I don't know if it's a theatrical or a TV movie, but I, no, I think really, it's a TV movie. I hadn't really thought about it. And then he did a TV movie called like called LA Takedown. We just talked about it. Yeah. The, the, uh, it's the pretty much the, the blueprint for heat, but without, heat, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it was a TV movie that was like his dry run for heat, you know? And, uh, um, so I haven't seen those TV movies, but now I saw the keep, uh, the keep is a movie that Michael Mann notoriously hates with like, oh. <laughs> really hates it. Uh, he had this very long cut, like, Know, two and a half hours, something like that, and the studio got a hold of it, took it away from him, and cut it down like an hour thirty. <laughs> like, oh my god! And it, but I thought it was really good for like the first hour or so. Okay. Then I didn't know what the fuck was going on, and that's oh, like man. if you read yeah. all the letterbox reviews, people are like, "I don't know what's happening in this movie, but it's got cool vibes." That's like, <laughs> yeah. like, um, it's got an amazing cast. It's got Scott Glenn. Ian McKellen, uh, Jurgen Proshnow, I was uh, yep. Gabriel Byrne, Robert Prosky. I mean, it's got a bunch of great people in it, and it's basically Nazis are forced to go um, to this like Romanian fort or a fortress, like, and they don't really know why they're there. Um, weird shit starts to happen; <laughs> people start to die. Um, it's a pretty amazing like 
creature that shows up uh, partway through. Um, I like the design on it. There's an amazing Tangerine Dream score. It's a really good score, which yeah. I think was like this. Make the score makes everything better. Like Tangerine Dream, I love their scores, <laughs> and uh, it's it's got all the pieces of a good movie. The story is like becomes like gobbledygook nonsense by the end. Like I guess like I did not know what was happening. I was like, what are we doing? Like I was so intrigued <laughs> for the first hour, and I still like cared what was happening. I didn't know what was happening, but I still was into it. But it uh it is a mess, and I'm sure cutting an hour or so out of a movie will make it you know much harder to understand you know right. it's like um because the studio just took it from him and did it themselves i don't think he even had any say of like what to cut or you know um as far as i understand it so it's kind of a mess but it's a really interesting mess like you know it's michael mann so of course it's high quality but it's just like i can't understand why he hates it because it sounds like a horrible experience and he didn't have control over it when it was finished so um but a really interesting mess from a great director. So, you know. You know what? Okay, so um, there's this movie that came out this year. It's called War Hunt. Hmm. And it stars Robert Nepper, uh, Jackson Rathbone, and Mickey Rourke. Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, you can watch it on Hulu. It's not great. I liked it. It Two and a half stars with a heart. I liked it. <laughs> um, it's pretty cheesy. But it sounds like it's a loose remake of The Keep. Oh, Okay. Um, <laughs> and you know, Mickey Rourke, man, he's, he's Mickey Rourke in it with an eye patch. They're Ooh, like, patch. they're going out and hunting <laughs> zombies and you know, um, uh, it, war hunt is, is a horror movie and like, um, uh, it's, uh, witches basically they encounter witches. So, um, oh, that's interesting. I bet, I bet the keep, I bet it's a, a loose remake of the keep. Oh, okay. And I think, the keep may be based off of a novel. I'm trying to look yeah, that up. Looks so like maybe F, F. Paul maybe. Wilson wrote okay. the novel. So yeah, that's that might be what that is. That's interesting. Um huh. but yeah, the keep is I, I like the keep. It's not my favorite Michael Mann movie by by any stretch, yeah. but it's definitely worth watching. And it, I had to watch like a pretty crappy <laughs> like standard definition transfer on Amazon Prime because I don't think it has like a good HD transfer. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe you can buy bootleg, but it doesn't have like a good official release because Michael Mann, I think, can want something to do with it. So it's like gotcha. it's not getting the special treatment probably anytime soon. But yeah. um so yeah, that was that was cool. Now I have one Michael Mann movie left to see. A couple TV movies too, but <laughs> Ali is the big one I need to see. Yeah, see um, I I have no I'm not a big boxing oh, movie. Oh you hate guy. boxing movies, right? You know <laughs> you've said and... this before, yeah. And I, I don't know. I just I'm like when I when I watch all the other movies, I'll watch Ali. Right. <laughs> all, all the other movies, all the other movies on, on my watch list. That is like three thousand. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, maybe one day. Uh, so <laughs> I speaking of TV, TV movies. I watched a TV movie from 1977 uh, called Dead of Night. Hell That's yeah. Have you seen this? Okay. Hell yeah. Directed by Dan Curtis with stories yep. by Richard Matheson, at least a couple of the stories. Um, and I watched it. You know, it's funny. I primarily watched it because it was short and it was free on Tubi. I was like, I don't have a lot of time, but I got time to watch a short movie and it's an hour 15. I was like, perfect. And I wanted horror stuff. And um, it's funny. It's an anthology movie yep. with only three segments um, that. I felt like run the gamut in quality and content because there's only uh, one good segment in my opinion. I, I, I agree. I wonder if we're agreeing on the segment. Probably <laughs> the, I think everyone says it too. the, so the first thing I'll go through this. The first segment is very much 
like a if anybody ever watched Beyond Belief Fact or Fiction back in the day, hosted by Jonathan Frakes, I love that show. It's yeah. very much a Beyond Belief story because it's like or not like uh, maybe like Spielberg's Amazing Stories because it has like a touch of fantasy, yeah, but yeah. it's not really scary at all. It's just yeah. Ed Begley Jr., super young. I've never seen this young. Uh, finds this old car and goes back in time and he changes the course of something kind of small but big in his life later on. I won't spoil what he does, but like goes back it's not there's not really much to it but it's like it's fine it's kind of nice it's like a nice little story okay um the second story i thought was pretty bad and i just felt like i checked out completely it's like about vampires in, in what else. night yeah it's let's it's, see well uh, so the the first one was the ed Baker car right yeah and then the, the, the mistress of an old mansion uh is terrified of vampires I really had nothing good to say about that one. I yeah. was like, oh boy. The third one, though. The third one is fantastic. This is the one everybody likes. It's yep. this mother uh, who who lost her son recently. Her young son uh, basically is, you know, very upset about it, obviously, and, and tries to bring him back from the dead. It does this whole ritual in her house with, you know, she's got like, I think, pentagrams on the floor and yeah, candles like clears everywhere. the whole living room. Clears the whole living room out. It's the big, and like, yeah. <laughs> like like the most dangerous place for a house too it seems like you walk out the front door and you could fall off the fucking cliff <laughs> like a cliff, yeah right there right um i think it's called bobby that's it bobby. yeah no and, wonder uh... bobby died he opened the door and the wind <laughs> blew him out <laughs> he lives in a very unsafe house for children um but she <laughs> brings him back and much like a pet cemetery scenario of course it is not uh does not go well. I don't think it's a spoiler in a horror movie. It's not like, it's like, oh, I think it's good. Um, it does not go well. He comes back. He's not quite himself. He's not the same. Um, it's pretty tense and pretty scary. And the ending like made me literally go shit out loud, even though I think it could be looked at as kind of goofy if you kind of pause it and really stare at it. But um, it's, I thought it was pretty scary. I thought it was, it's one of, I think it's one of my favorite horror anthology segments. It's really, really oh, well absolutely. done. Oh, absolutely, yes. But the other two are just kind of like, well, the first one I thought was fine, but the second one I thought was just bad, like really, really bad. Yeah. Um, so it's a weird mixed bag of like totally fine and harmless, really bad, really, really great. It's a weird, it's, it's all over the place. Um, but again, hour 15 minutes. You can't, you can't go wrong with that. Right, well, and the other thing is it, you can also find um, Bobby, just that segment on YouTube. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. How I watched it for the first time. And then and then like last year, two years ago, I watched the whole thing. I was like, oh, God, no wonder people just watch. <laughs> it's, it's all they uh, talk about. Yeah. Okay. Like, so yeah. Li listen to this, Matt. OK. <clears throat> Lee Montgomery, the kid that the actor that plays Bobby. Oh, uh -huh. is the lead kid in the sequel to Willard. Oh, he <laughs> he plays a kid named Danny who befriends Ben, the leftover rat from Willard. So look at they that. Should have, Just, they should have subtitled it Ben, the leftover rat. <laughs> Wasn't there also like a big Michael Jackson song from that movie? Ben okay. song. I feel like I've heard about like people were like, wow, this is really weird to write a song about know. a rat. Hang on. We got to do some, some Googling. Um, will you look that up for me while I go yes, on to the I next am. thing? Yeah, if yeah, you yeah. Don't mind. Um, I finally watched a movie I've been trying to see for years. It's never been easy to see. I think it has an out of print DVD. It's the Night Flyer from 1990. Oh, I thought I knew this. Was oh, this Miguel Ferrer? Miguel Ferrer. Uh, Miguel yeah. Ferrer. Um, 97, 97. I thought it was earlier than that. Um, 
it was like an HBO movie, I believe. Okay. Um, it's got the double-edged sword of there, there's no good re- like release of it, and it's not available to stream anywhere for free. I had to go on YouTube. Um, there's a p- decent stream on like a decent um quality video on YouTube. Um, but it's like it was an HBO production, and Richard P. Rubenstein, who notoriously has held the rights of like Dawn of the Dead for years, is the producer. So it's got those two things going against it, which is probably why it doesn't have a good release and it's not available to stream. Um, but it's super cool. Stephen King story. Um, Miguel Ferreira plays this like very sleazy, slimy reporter. Works like a real just like grocery store gossip magazine and writes these sensational stories about just you know terrible things happening. And and uh, he gets on the trail of this murderer who's kind of traveling the country to small towns by plane. Like he flies in his like black Cessna in the middle of the night <laughs> and like will murder some people in a small town uh, and then fly out again and. It looks like it could be a vampire. Spoiler. I mean, it's not really spoiler. It is a vampire. (laughs) They hold. I wish I had never seen this vampire before because they hold the reveal of what the vampire looks like for almost the entire movie. Oh, really? Yeah. But I've seen the face, the face on the freaking poster. Like they just give the face away. Uh, But I didn't realize they were not going to show him full on until like almost the end of the movie. And it's an amazing design. It is like the most horrific vampire you could ever imagine. Um, Cause he just walks around. Like you see like this black, you know, cool black cloak, you know, walking around like it's like you see him from a distance here from the back. And, and then you, when it finally kind of blows up at the, or it kind of all goes nuts at the end, you see him, you're like, Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I just wish I had been completely surprised. Cause I would not have expected that design. Cause I've never seen a vampire quite look like that, <laughs> but um it's pretty good. It's pretty, it's uh, especially like the last 30 minutes or something like also like a weird set piece, like black and white. He's kind of like Miguel Ferrer is kind of like in the underworld. I don't know what you want to call it. He's in this weird, like <coughs> nether world, extra other dimension thing with all these dead yeah. people. And it's very creepy. Um, it was good. I really liked it. I was glad I finally got to see it because yeah, it's been impossible to see, but it's on YouTube and that's the only way I know how to see it without paying God as much for a DVD. So. Mark, Mark Pavia, the director um, do you remember he was on an early episode of Shock Shockwaves, and it was just him and Rob, and they were drinking red wine and oh. got really drunk through, throughout the throughout the episode. But uh, Pavia had just released like only his second movie called Fender Bender, and oh, so I, I watched that because of and, and Fender Bender is is fine. It's streaming on Shutter, um, sort of a, a you know kind of creepy call caller. Um, following this young woman around uh type of type of movie but i've always wanted to see the night flyer because i love miguel frere but because of that that uh the vampire mask is like yeah they don't hide it on the poster or any of the advertising i'm like god that looks awesome i'm gonna see that (laughs) yeah it's like i i wish they had just uh kind of kept that more hidden but they just put on the poster front and center <laughs> because yeah. the whole movie is like the build up to the reveal of what he looks like and then uh, you know if you haven't seen it and you never saw what he looks like you watch the movie i imagine it'd be an amazing holy shit moment <laughs> like um it's a good movie it, it's like a slow burn that works i feel like they build up to it he's chasing this thing around all over the place um it may be a little repetitive in how many different towns he goes to to chase it it's like maybe we don't need that much, uh, but you know, but sure. I thought it was fine, but I mean, uh, that part was fine. It didn't bother me, but like, yeah, I thought it was good. I'm just, I wish I had a better release, like someone like Scream Factory or somebody. Yeah, hands on there's got to be some sort of rights thing. 
think uh, it's Richard Rubenstein. I think it's. Oh know, yeah. I mean, he's probably the problem. <laughs> so, yeah, and HBO stuff I think is hard to get. Although. Oh well, I, I mean, think. The, yeah. Oh, sorry. The, well, the Hitcher. You know, it's it's yeah. been, uh, a great um, European release. Is it Second Sight that's doing it? One it of them. Yeah. Um, but like never in the U.S. It's an HBO movie. And so. it's weird because Tales from the Hood, I believe, is an HBO movie. And that got a Scream Factor release. Scream so really nice. So I don't know if it's more than just, you know, I'm sure that's a problem with the HBO thing. But then it probably goes beyond that to like, who's the producer and, you know, that kind of thing. But well, one now with like Warner Media and, and Discovery oh and like, who knows <laughs> who has what? And yeah, wow, what a headache. Um, <laughs> yes, Michael Jackson, Ben Song at the end of of Ben. Oh, okay. I'm glad I did not like imagine that. So <laughs> was like weird fever dream of uh, I'd heard that. I thought, everyone thought it was so weird. Like he's singing a song to a mouse like, what, or a rat. What is this? <laughs> like, um, okay. Well, speaking of Warner Brothers, because I think they put this movie out. I'm not sure. Uh, I think it is a Warner movie. Uh, the only new movie that I'll talk about that I saw recently, which is like the talk of the town uh, that just came out. All the all the drama, all the controversy. The movie's uh, finally out. Uh, I saw Don't Worry, Darling, the Olivia Wilde directed movie with. Lawrence Pugh and Harry Styles and Chris Pine, uh, a bunch of other people. Um, it's okay. Like, it's barely okay. Like, it's one of those movies that definitely, because I feel like I say this a lot, but I think it really, really applies here. It's like, it's kind of fine maybe when you're watching it, but the minute you like leave the theater and start talking to people about it, it starts falling apart um, real quick. Like, it just, uh, it's it just, it's, it's very slow and plotting for like the first hour or so. Okay. But then it kind of gets interesting, but then it goes off the rails when it kind of reveals what's really going on. <laughs> like, um, because the whole setup is people don't know. Um, except like everyone's talking about everything around the movie and not the movie. <laughs> it's right. like, um, uh, it's like 1950s housewife, uh, living with her husband, Florence Pugh, living with Harry Styles in a, it's a very utopian experimental community. The guys are all working on some big secret project that no one knows what it is. Um, and Florence Pugh starts getting the idea that something really weird's going on. And, uh, you know, what's, what's really happening here and all these weird visions and weird things like hallucinations are happening to her. And, you know, everyone telling her like, Oh, you're just being crazy and paranoid. Nothing's going on. Um, and I, there's just not much to it. It's like, uh, Florence Pugh was really good. I will say that Florence Pugh was really trying. Uh, Chris Pine's really good. He has to play like the, like, the leader of this company and he kind of okay. is kind of, it's like motivational boss with like cult leader, you know, it's kind of yeah. like, nice. uh, he's good, but like Harry Styles, everyone's talking about his acting. I don't He's not good, but I don't think he's like disastrously bad until like if he's having like a normal conversation with Florence Pugh at a normal volume, I think it's okay. When he starts going into like I'm yelling mode, I'm mad, it's horrible. Oh, <laughs> it's really no. bad. It's like he thinks he has to turn on this extra level of like, oh, I gotta really act now. You know, it's like capital A acting time. Like, and so because they shared a clip of him that went around Twitter that everyone's making fun of where he was yelling. And that that's his worst stuff when he has to go into like I'm angry and I'm yelling mode. It's really bad. I don't think he's great by any means when he's just like being normal. But I, you know, I didn't think he was like a complete disaster for most of it. But he's not great. Um, I don't even know what to say about it. It's it's just not very good. Like even people I saw it with, 
who sometimes I think am I being too harsh because I'm, you know, or people, I people be like, oh, you're too much of a movie guy. You're overanalyzing. People I went with were like, eh, it was okay. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. and, and an old lady walked out behind us and was like, that wasn't very good, was it? Like to her daughter. So she was like, she's like, that wasn't good. <laughs> like, oh. and a lot of people I walked out with, I won't say what it is, obviously, but there's a twist in the movie. And a lot of people I heard just kind of saying like, that wasn't a, like, that wasn't a good twist. Or I called that twist really early on. Like, yeah, that doesn't really land. The ending's pretty bad. I mean, it's, it's actually getting worse the more I talk about it. It's like, it ain't great. It looks really, it, it looks really good. I think Olivia Wilde's like still a pretty decent director. Um, the story is just got awful. It's structured weird. Um, Maybe not cut off on it's too harsh, but it was like the story's oh, not great. Yeah, it's structured weird. It's there's a lot of issues with it, but it looks nice. That's that's something. You know, I I've only seen so the uh Shane and and uh Carrie, is it Carrie Van Dyke? Uh wrote Don't Worry, Darling. Oh and uh -huh. they did the silence, the one with Stanley Tucci, which I never saw. They did Chernobyl Diaries, which I never saw. But they did do one of the Blumhouse um hulu movies they come knocking which i really liked um but yeah i mean if if you get a bad script i mean there's not much you can do you know you can't polish a turd i <laughs> think because i mean the cast yeah. florence Pugh is fantastic chris pine i love nick kroll's in it awesome um but you know, I mean, Harry Styles, it's not a big poll for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, it does feel like everyone trying to get more out of this than there is there. Like, I feel like sure. Florence Pugh is trying really hard. Chris Pine is trying hard. But like the story's not good. The story's not good. And it's like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's just fun. it's kind of sad. It's not even like it's a really fun, terribly bad disaster because that might be more fun it's just kind of meh which is yeah. like the worst yeah. place to be yeah. it's like i was kind of rooting for it because i was like it had all this drama obviously with like the behind the scenes stuff with shia labeouf being fired or not fired and olivia wilde like maybe talking shit about florence Pugh and uh florence Pugh refusing to do press for the movie i believe and all the stuff at the venice film festival where did harry Styles spit on chris pine like you know it's like all this stuff oh you didn't hear about this no, don't tell me about it. I, <laughs> no, I avoid all this shit. No, wow, that's I mean, that video went around Twitter like it was like, you know, the JFK assassination. Like we were all analyzing it. Like, did did Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine? Like he sits down. I, I gotta tell you now. I've already, he sits down right next to him at the premiere, and he does like a turn to sit in his seat, and it does look like he makes the motion he's gonna spit right on him. And it was like Chris Pine kind of reacts like he looks down like the fuck was that but then they're laughing and talking like two minutes later so and i don't see any spit is all i'm saying in the film we can yeah. people can debate me on this on twitter <laughs> like i know i think i'm in a minority people are like you don't think he spit i'm like it doesn't make any sense why would he spit on it <laughs> and then they're laughing about it two minutes later i don't know it was weird that's all the stuff before the movie even came out and now the movie's like an afterthought you know what i mean it's just yeah oh, ridiculous um yeah. oh and of course a little bit while i'm harry styles dating that was another part of the whole there was so oh, much drama. They're yeah. dating? I didn't even they know. They were. They might be broken up. That was the... I'm giving you all the celebrity gossip now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you yeah, up. don't. Uh, yeah, see, uh, this, see, this makes me hate movies when I hear <laughs> I'm <them>. sorry. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, don't worry, darling. It's like, yeah, it's whatever. It'll be on HBO Max probably in <laughs> in like a month or two. And then okay. you're watching the company on home. But I don't right. even know if I recommend that. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, so yeah, that was all the stuff I had. So nice. I guess we can get into talking about Habit. 
which, <laughs> which is a movie I don't know if I'd even heard of before you told me about it. I, I don't want to speak for you, but I figured I'd let you start here. Uh, your feelings on habit, because I think you have some very strong feelings about this movie. <laughs> well, Matt, this is the greatest movie that has ever been made. Uh, no, that is that is a lie. It is my favorite horror movie. And Larry Fessenden is my favorite director, not just horror director. He's my favorite filmmaker, period. And, it, and I won't go into it because I seem to talk about it every single episode on my show. But, you know, he he makes films with what he has, with what little resources he has. And every movie he makes, he turns out something great. Uh, not just good. I think he turns out great things. The one time that he was directed for hire, it's like, oh, this is this. The movie's fine. Um, <laughs> what movie but, was that, by the way? What was he? Oh, Dark Fish or Deep. I don't know. Something about it's like <laughs> it's a piranha movie, basically. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that I highly recommend every, everybody go out and get that Larry Fessenden Shout Factory, Scream Factory box set. Uh, you get Habit. Last winter, no telling, and the Wendigo, and they're all they're all great films. And of course, I could listen to Larry talk. His commentaries are absolute filmmaking, like it's film school gold. Um, he's just he's he's the best. Um, and uh, so I watched this for the first time. It was when I was still a youth pastor. I was working at the church and it was like the first time I was participating in scary movie month years and years ago. So I've been a stay at home dad for almost seven years. So this is like, we're talking like 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, I think nothing was going on this day at work and I, I was in the office by myself. And so I watched habit. It was streaming somewhere. And so I watched habit uh, for the first time. And I was just like, hypnotized i was like this is what is it about this movie that i love and now that i've seen it you know 25 times um it's something different every time i find another reason why i love this movie um i love the mid 90s feel of it i think uh meredith snader is hot as hell uh, Larry Fessenden, I think, plays this character so well. Um, some of the other performances are not great, but I think that's that just adds to the charm of Habit. And I, I think when you know push comes to shove, if someone says, "What's your favorite subgenre of horror movies?" I think it's it's probably vampire movies because you know you got something like The Lost Boys that has such a specific flair and feel to it. Uh, and you have something like Habit that has such a specific flair and feel to it. You have something like uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Same thing. I mean, there's so many vampire movies that that do like they they kind of uh, focus in on on a, a sort of feeling or vibe, and they ride that really hard. And uh, a lot of them do it really really well. And but you know, I think Habit is. It, I don't know, man. It's just, it's so great. It's insanely rewatchable for me. Great New York movie. Um, 
So what this was this the first time you watched it? This was the second time because okay. I had taken your recommendation. And I I wanted to see it so badly that I, I think it was like last year or the year before it was not streaming anywhere at all. It was like a Nightflyer situation. Uh, <laughs> now it looks like all his not all the movies in the box set. I might be streaming on AMC Plus slash Shutter. Um, but when I wanted to watch Habit, it was not anywhere. And I was like, God damn it. So I went on and I was for sure that Larry Fessenden Scream Factory box set was out of print. But then I found out it was not. It was on Amazon for maybe 40 bucks, which is like yep. 10 bucks a movie. Yep. There's four movies in there. I was like, that's I'll take a flyer on that. Um, and that's how I finally watched it. And I did really like it. This is always a funny situation where it's like you've seen this. 25 plus times like you said and you love the movie and i'm over here like i like it i think i really like it but i, I don't have that same level of passion i would live with it as long obviously um but i yeah it's only only my second time watching it but i think and i liked the first time i watched it but i think i liked it even more on the second viewing um than the first one and i don't even know what made it be better this time but i felt like i was appreciating even more so before it becomes a vampire story, just how it is like a young people falling in love in New York City movie in the 90s. Like I was like, oh, I like this movie. Like, I don't even need the vampire stuff to come in, um, which I'm not sure you feel about that. If you if that's what you were drawn to initially or you came to that later where you're like, oh, I love all the kind of romantic stuff in the first half of the movie. Yeah, that's that's the reason I loved it at first, because it was, um, you know, the sort of. Uh, not really loser, but he's he's grieving hard, and his life is is sort of um, um, not 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 even really out of control, but he's just floating. And I think we've all felt like that. We've gone through something sort of traumatic, and we're just existing, and we're trying to survive, and we're just on the edge of like really going to shit and falling apart, um, and. Uh, and then he he does like everything does fall apart for him and uh taking away the vampire stuff like that is uh like it's not even secondary it's like tertiary or whatever four is like it's way down the line even though i like the vampire stuff mm -hmm. um uh, now like i this is the first time i watched it sober right so so i have celebrated uh recently a year of sobriety and this is it's a story of addiction and when you hear larry talk about it like that's what it is it's a it's an allegory for for addiction and like watching it last night i was just like oh my mind was like completely blown <laughs> open i was like oh my god i get this on another level like a huge level for me and um but like the that's like i said it's it's not even the vampire stuff it's the the romance stuff it's um you know it's such a you could live in this and sort of uh, now i'm i'm 40 years old um and married with two kids been married for you know almost 15 years now but uh you know i can think about when i was single and you know uh, you have these sort of hot you know, hot and heavy flings that you don't know where things are going. And like everything is sort of mysterious and exciting and, you know, sometimes scary and you get wrapped up and, and then sometimes, you know, you, you get your heart broken and it fucking sucks. And this movie is like that. And 
So I, I love watching it because, you know, my wife teases me. She's like, oh, you just like thinking about the way you used to be, don't you? I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, because I used to be like Sam in this movie, like Larry Fessenden, um, uh, when it when it came to like looking for love and, and sort of floating through life, not knowing uh, what lies ahead. And it's, uh, yeah, you know, it, I don't know. On top of that, you have, this soundtrack of it's only four songs um but it's like they fit the movie so well and it adds to uh, the the mid 90-ness of it Uh um the sort of indie uh because this is you know it's very low budget it's all handheld shot on i think 16 millimeter Mm -hmm. um and it's fuck i love that feeling you know it's a it's a different world mid 90s new york city uh, I never got to experience that, but we can experience a lot of it in habit, which is really cool. Yes. Well, first of all, congratulations on the year of sobriety. That's fantastic. That's good. So uh, that's, I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I already knew that, but I was like, it's glad to hear you talk about it again. And it's funny you bring up, there's a lot of ways I can go with what you just said, but because this time I was watching thinking like, was this all a big metaphor for like STDs? Because they keep talking about like vampirism <laughs> as, uh, as a disease kind of like, is that a metaphor for SEs? Because he talked about protection. He yep. brings that up with her. They're about to have sex. And he's like, their protection. And she's like, what's what for? And, you know, and then they keep bringing up, you know, he, after they have sex, he's like, she's like, I'm my periods. That's protection. And he goes, well, there's other stuff too. And right. Um, yeah. I feel like other people bring it up to him. Like, it's like, I've been using protection. It's like a big talking point throughout the whole movie. So I thought, is this all like a big metaphor for that? Cause I think before I thought it was addiction. I guess it could be both, obviously like addiction and, std it's like because this is you know post 80s aids epidemic like but obviously still a a fear it's still a thing going on um and it works on both those levels i'm and i'm curious about this too uh there's a weird thing in the 90s like around this time where there's a lot of these new york vampire movies and there's another one that comes out the same year 95 called the addiction abel Ferreira, which um is a movie i love and i just saw for the first time a couple years ago and that was like immediately like five star classic. And I responded to that so strongly. Have you seen there's someone called Night Owl that Vinegar Center put out. Have you seen either one of those other vampire movies, uh, like New York well, vampire movies? Yeah, I saw The Addiction, I think, for the first time last year, two years ago also um, and loved it. Not as much as Habit, but, um, you know, I the cool thing about vampire movies is that <clears throat> you can use them. I mean, just like horror movies in general. But specifically vampire movies, it's it's usually about disease or addiction. Um, and I think uh, in habit, those two go hand in hand. You know, uh, we call alcoholism. It's an allergy. It's what they mm-hmm. call it in the big book. <laughs> and um, it, and and it's a genetic disease. Um, and so, you know, you could go either way and. And so when I watch Habit, I take it as it is a disease of of alcoholism or addiction. Um, and, and then he, you know, he ends up right getting clean at the end and goes through the DTs and he starts going mm. crazy and paranoid. And see, now let me tell you, <clears throat> not to get too heavy here, but when I first got sober last year, I went three months uh, just white knuckling it, trying it on my own without any sort of program or help or anything. And I, 
every every day I woke up and started crying and like thought about killing myself for three days or three months straight. And so, and then I ended up uh, getting involved in, in AA and, and getting help and everything and, and like everything cleared up. And um, so like, that's why we say uh, alcoholism is not just a drinking problem. It's a thinking problem. And so when Sam at the end, he goes to his dad's apartment and he's, he's dealing with this like horrific paranoia right? Because he's convinced she's a vampire. She is a vampire. Um, (laughs) But, and like, nobody's believing him because who in the hell would believe you if you say, oh my God, I'm dating this vampire. Um, (laughs) And he's going crazy. And then the, you know, the, the technically the filmmaking just, I mean, matches it perfectly. The way Pheasanton shoots it is just the best. Um, But I'm watching this last night thinking, oh my God, this is exactly how I was feeling from my first three months of sobriety last year, I completely get it. And, um, you know, spoilers, he dies at the end of the movie by jumping out of a window, falling out of a window and, you know, committing suicide quote, right. Um, because there's no other way out. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it just, gosh, it just hit me so hard last night. And, you know, I've seen this lots and lots and lots of times. And still finding something where it just hits me so hard in the, in the feels, as they say. And I was just like, gosh, this is, he's a genius, this Larry Pheasant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could definitely yeah, understand why that would resonate with you. I mean, yeah, that's, and I don't think I'd even really thought about it that deeply, but no, I totally see what you're saying about him, like trying to go clean at the end of the movie. And we jumped way ahead of the end of the movie. But I I know I have a question now that you brought up the end of the movie. Yes. With her, because both their bodies are on the ground. Larry Festin and oh god, I'm blinking. Meredith Snyder. Snyder. Um, they are both there, and then they kind of like cut and she's gone. Are we to believe that she just vanished or she was not there and he because I believe that she's really real and really a vampire, but for that moment I'm confused what happened to her. <laughs> like, did she disappear, do you think, or was she just well, like, yeah, yeah, I think she, she's a vampire. You can't kill a vampire by just throwing him out of a window. That's what I was confused about, too. I was like, wait and, a minute. <laughs> and the very, their very final shot is the front of that, that boat going through the, through the ocean. And I take that as she survived and she's moving on to another, you know, another city or take another victim. Um, and uh, so I, I think, you know, that's the genius of, of Pheasanton is when you watch his movies, you can either watch it just as a straight horror movie, mm-hmm. just a, a movie about vampires. Um, or you can watch it as a movie about addiction. You know, you watch uh, no telling and you could just watch it. It's sort of um, a Frankenstein sort of movie. Um, but it's really, uh, he's also uh, Pheasanton is really talking about animal cruelty in that movie. Oh, okay. Uh, or depraved, which, um, came out after the box set, unfortunately. Uh, but also another great kind of Frankenstein sort of movie, but it's, you can watch it as a Frankenstein movie, or you can watch it as an allegory for PTSD coming home from the Afghanistan war, um, or war in Afghanistan. So I think that's the, the genius of Fezzedin's stuff is that, you know, he's, he's, uh, 
you know, you take it so many different ways and you don't have to read it like that. You can read this just as a vampire movie because the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, killer vampire movie. (laughs) And the more and more I watch, I'm like, oh my God, there's so much more. (laughs) It's, it's, I mean, it's like a good, it's, it's like we said, a good, just like young people. I'm assuming they're like in their twenties, early thirties, who like that period where you could be like kind of floating through life and figure what's going on. It's a good, like he just broken up with his girlfriend he meets this woman at a party who's very mysterious. It's like everyone's dream, I feel like. It's like, you're just oh, like you going through a bad breakup. You meet this really cool, sexy, mysterious woman at a party, and she's like, he's into you. And But then, oh, no, there's a cat. She's a vampire. <laughs> and it's like, uh, then it becomes, it's which is that vampire part, which is, which I like all that stuff. Uh, and it it's, I will, there's, I have a couple nitpicks. I'm curious about what you think yeah. about these. Uh, the part where I feel like the movie, I feel like the movie's going really well for me for like the first the hour and then i feel like it really hits the brakes hard when they go off to like that cottage for thanksgiving yeah i feel like that part is like oh it's where it slowed down for me last time and did it this time too i'm not even i guess the point of that is just to to show like because i I, meredith snyder kind of switches her intentions to um oh god ray yeah uh one of his friends I guess that's the purpose. Because otherwise, I'm like, we spent a lot of time in this cottage, and I don't really know what we're doing here. Because I think that goes my other my complaint. I feel bad, but like the movie, I think the movie's a little long at an almost two hours, and I think that's a thing where they're at their cottage for a little while. I think is maybe goes on a little too long for me. And then the the stuff, the subplot with his dad, which now that we've talked about a little bit, I'm like, oh, okay. Because I'm like, why are we even including this? I guess just to show how bad a time he's been having lately. It's like he's been broken up with. His dad died a couple months before that. They do that whole thing where he goes to speak at his dad's memorial, um, which again I was kind of like, why, why are we doing this? But I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. I just kind of thought, if I'm thinking this feels a little long, what could we trim out? I was sure. thinking that, and a little bit of the stuff at the cottage. But I didn't know if maybe I'm not reading into it enough about the stuff with the dad, especially about like. Larry Fessner just wanted to put that stuff in there. If he had some stuff with his dad, he wanted to put it. I don't know. Uh, maybe you would know. I don't know. <laughs> those are my two real nitpicks of those two parts where I'm like, we don't know. I don't, we need this. We could speed along, I, but yeah, I, I don't know. know. I, it, it is. I, I don't think when, when someone says that it feels overly long, I don't argue that because when I first, the first, you know, half a dozen times I watched, I was like, it, you know, it's, it doesn't need to be almost two hours long. Um, now I'm like, why can't we have seven more hours of this movie, please? I want five more hours at, at the cottage up in yes. right. It's a tough uh, question to ask someone who loves the movie because I'm like movies I love. Yeah, they can't be long enough. I'm like, yeah, keep going. It's fine. <laughs> so no, yeah. But I, I you know what? Because I've I've lived with this so long and like my love has grown. Um, you know, I, I've kind of gone through all the feelings. Now I look at it as um, you know, my favorite horror movie of all time. Uh, but I can I don't think, like I said, it's not a perfect movie. Um, I think something Larry Fessenden does really, really well is he develops characters and he likes to develop characters. So, for instance, in Depraved, have you seen Depraved, Matt? No, I have not. Okay. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. I, uh, again, I highly recommend it. Um, again, I'm a Larry Fessenden cheerleader here, so everything he <laughs> does is is perfect for me but um we 
you know, getting to the horror of his horror movies, um, you have to deal with, it's like reading a Stephen King novel. We have to read 400 pages of learning exactly how this person walks and showers and wipes their ass and chews their food before we get to the scary shit. But that's why we love Stephen King then, or those of us that do is because we get to live with these characters for so long. And so in Habit, I love living with these characters. I love living with Sam. We get to go up to, you know, out on Long Island to this, uh, for this Thanksgiving dinner. Um, I think it, he's, he's going through this grieving process. And again, I can relate because I have also lost my father. And so I, I relate to Sam in that way too. Ray has just lost her grandmother. Right. And so they're going to raise grandma's house uh, to try to keep up that tradition because she used to go out there with her grandma every year. And so it's these two people grieving. And so you're exactly right. I think it shows um, Anna. It's an opportunity for us to see Anna take advantage of someone in uh, uh, not their right mind. She takes advantage of Ray, mm -hmm. who is also going through a grieving process. And it sounds like her relationship with Nick is a little bit on the rocks, right? Yes. Nick, yeah. Nick talks about that. And so Anna sees an opportunity. This woman has let her guard down and I might be able to feed on her, uh, which spoilers again, she doesn't because Ray comes running up at the end with Nick. Um, and it's all the dream of of sam seeing her on the boat is just that it was just a dream and it didn't get to her um but i i love that scene out in long island and i i wish it was longer and i really i always have because um one it's beautiful and two i love living with these characters like <laughs> i could sit and watch sam trimming green beans for like an hour and like he him, did trim a lot of green beans just that was sort, of, sort of going off and it, it's also another opportunity for us to see oh sam is starting to turn because his senses are heightened he can hear nick and ray's conversation back oh, in the, yeah, yeah. the house right um but he it, can't it, eat the food at the dinner or right, he gets sick he, from eating the food yeah, he yeah. eats the food and he goes and yaks it all up right mm -hmm. um and and then, you know, we're, we're left with the two guys in the morning. Um, they're like, what the fuck? The girls are gone. They don't know what's going on. And I love how uh, um, Nick is just like, all right, let's go. And he goes off camera and Sam stays and he's like, Nick, the table, because they have all the dishes to do. And so they stick around. They have to clean up and they clean the house. And I was like, yes, like, I think that's what any normal person would do. <laughs> and, then, and then we get the little montage of them driving back and Sam is getting sick and they have to pull over and he throws up and everything. And um, as far as the dad thing, the one thing that um, I sort of, um, not necessarily roll my eyes, but I'm just like, we don't need this, is when <laughs> Anna shows up at the thing and she gives Sam the little like figure, rock figure mm -hmm. thing. And then all the all the archaeologists are like, oh, look at this, look at this. And that's obviously just to show us 
when when Sam at the end goes to his dad's apartment, that archaeologist calls, leaves a message saying, Sam, call me. I need to talk to you about this woman because this guy's like, you know, discovers, oh, this object is like vampire related or something from centuries ago. Like there's no way Ah. she could have this. Um, (laughs) But I'm like, we don't we don't need that. Right. I, (laughs) I do like him giving the speech at this event, because I think that's another thing adding to his grief, letting us know, like, this is something he's not looking forward to, but kind of he has to do. Uh, but her showing up, I'm just like, eh, no. But then <laughs> we have that moment of mm-hmm. them coming out and the boy gets hit by the, the car and they take him to the hospital and they fuck in the somewhere in the hospital. <laughs> Trauma makes people uh, do weird things. Uh, true. Like, true. Uh, yeah, I well, I will go back to just Larry Fessenden in general. I've now I think I've only seen two of his movies that he's directed i've seen him pop up in many many indie horror movies because he's yeah very familiar face in indie horror scene the past like 10 20 years like he's everywhere um i like that about him i've only seen this and i saw wendigo which is also in the box set and i was very surprised i did not like wendigo as much as i thought i would i kind of thought that won't be a slam dunk. I don't know why I was like, cause I'm like, Oh, Wendigos are cool. Uh, it's like, uh, like the cast on paper, um, like them in the movie, but I, I just, I don't know that I, I don't know if you want Wendigo, but like I, that one was tough for me because then I understand he's working with super low budget. I was going to say like, I really respect how he does nothing. He's like on micro budgets. Like I, yeah, I've seen that term thrown around like a couple, maybe tens of thousands of dollars. If he's lucky, I think, I don't know, maybe like, and, uh, so he does a lot with a little bit, but I thought Wendigo was rough because it was like, so I think you literally probably see that Wendigo for like three minutes total of screen time. It was like, you don't see it hardly at all. And I was just, I thought it was a little all over the place and very slow. And it's funny because maybe I'm trying to figure out why I like this so much more than Wendigo, like why I like habit so much more. And I don't know if it's just, their performances or being set in nineties, New York city. Um, I don't know, but I, I was going to say just like, I respect Larry precedent. Like he does so much with so little <laughs> and he's very creative. He's good with character work. Cause that was the good thing about when to go is he's good with like dynamics and characters. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I need to see more of his stuff. Cause I've always said two things, but I will always appreciate that. He does like, he works with, like no money and like and just does what he can because like all the actors in this I don't think I've heard of anybody else really in this movie hardly um but aren't they like his like his friends that he kind of works with like local actors yeah and, yeah well yeah. yeah especially in habit it's just it's his friends like Aaron Beal who plays Nick is a terrible actor okay I it's a terrible <laughs> I was actor. gonna bring this up and I don't um, know the first time I remember noticing it, but this time I really noticed it. Oh yeah, he's he's near, very very bad. Seen near the end, I was like, oh, this is bad acting. <laughs> like, but I will say, um, I I think Aaron Beale is sort of this Nick character. He's he's very eccentric. He's very theatrical. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and like I know people like that. I don't like them, but I know people <laughs> like that. And and it's not that they're mean. It's like good fucking god will you calm down like be normal for a second (laughs) Uh, but you know that's that's their personality it's fine um but uh, because i remember watching this first time like god this guy's fucking annoying he's a horrible actor but 
over time, I've grown to absolutely love him, you know, and, and I think it's such a beautiful friendship that Sam has with Nick and Ray mm-hmm. and like with them separately. Right. We, he, he has, he has a great friendship with them as a couple, but he also has a great friendship with them separately where he can talk to Nick about, about like, you know, um, uh, uh, sp- private specific things. And he can talk to Ray about private specific things, knowing that they're not going to get together and like share those things. Right. Like, right. And so I, that's another reason I really love this movie. I've grown to love this movie is that the friendships here are spectacular, especially between those three. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the, a lot of the performances are not great. And I, I say it all the time. This is why I love Larry Fessenden because he takes what he has. It is such a, you know, it. I get angry when I think too hard about it <laughs> that people like Larry Fessenden doesn't have millions upon millions of dollars to work with because um, I think he could do great things with that because he can do great things with, you know, 25 grand. Um, yeah. And, and it's, you know, he sort of become glass. Eye picks is his production company. Mm-hmm. He's sort of become this jumping off point for a lot of these great filmmakers. Ty West began yeah. his, his work as an intern with, with Larry and, you know, fuck Ty West is like King of the movies this year. Right. With X <laughs> Pearl and mm-hmm. the, whatever the third one is. And, um, and so I think that's the great thing. Larry Fessenden is the ultimate support system. He shows up in these people's movies, even just for a little bit, and he delivers great performances. Um, he gives people opportunities. He, uh, you know, and, and on top of that, he's a great fucking filmmaker and just does what he, what he can with what he has. Uh, and habit is the perfect example of that. Uh, because, you know, it's all handheld camera work uh and you know they're just fuck they're hanging out in new york city and it looks great yeah now am i mistaken did you ever did you live in new york city at any point am i imagining this no i've never oh, lived there. i could have sworn you lived there for a short time at least in your 20s but uh <laughs> i was gonna ask you but i i am weirdly fascinated with new york from like 90s back like maybe like the 60s 70s like that era of new york before it got I guess cleaned up for I mean good for New York but like it's it's so much more interesting when I'm looking at like dirty New York and this feels like the last gasp because I don't know when Giuliani became mayor but I always hear like people say that he was the one that came in and like cleaned it up and yeah. it's very different now than it was I know it was around this time but like this still has that that flair and like I love that just them being that setting and it's amazing that he shoots all the stuff in New York because I imagine he was also doing it probably without a lot of permits if i oh yeah no i yeah oh, i can't imagine there was any especially if he's doing handheld if i was running around grabbing shots but um there's stuff that really impressed me this time i forgot about the scene i couldn't forgot about it when um uh sam and anna larry Fessenden and meredith under go to the park go to central park i believe at night and there's wolves that show up and start chasing them i'm like how the fuck did you do this for <laughs> like they have red eyes i'm like what happened this happen uh it's a pretty great sequence without Again, with very little resources, I don't know how he pulled that off. Right? Yeah. The, I mean, those those were all trained dogs, and like if if you watch the credits at the end, like the you know he credits all the dogs. There's <laughs> three or four dogs. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, I think you know he's. 
I think he's just a great personality. Like he can go and talk to people like uh, shooting at this horse ranch out in Long Island. He probably didn't have to pay for that. He probably just went and said, Hey, I'm Larry. Nice to meet you. And struck up a conversation. He's like, right. You know, I'm making this movie. I was wondering if we could come out here and just, you know, shoot for a day. And they're like, yes, of course. You're the nicest person in the world. <laughs> Being nice gets you a long way. It gets you a lot of stuff. Exactly. <laughs> I, th I, I think that's, you know, that's how he's gotten where he is. And, you know, it's just, uh, I don't want to see Larry Fezzedin make a Marvel movie. And, and honestly, <laughs> I don't want to see Larry Fezzedin yeah. make a, a hundred million dollar movie. But I'd like to see Larry Fezzedin make like a $50 million movie. Well, I was going to say for him, I even getting five or 10 million from like Blumhouse for a movie. Yes, absolutely. Pretty incredible. Cause I'm sure he could stretch that budget. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Showing it. Think what he can do with it. Right. Like, so five or 10 million would go a long way. Like that. I mean, Ty West, it's funny you bring him up being like kind of a disciple of Larry Festin because he's, I think I read the reason he got to do X and Pearl back to back. And the reason he's going to do the third one, I think the third one's called Maxine um, is because it's, they're so cheap. He's making them so cheaply that, um, is it Blumhouse putting those out? I, I can't remember if it's Blumhouse putting those out or the studio is like, no, it's oh, sure. Oh, it is A24. You're right. You're right. Um, A24 is like, oh, sure. You're only a million or two bucks. You'll make that back in the first weekend. Like, um, you know, so go, like, go to your thing. Like, so if you just do things cheaply, this is my thing about um, like Robert Rodriguez back in the day. Yeah. Like, because he made El Mariachi for like, oh, what are they? Oh, gosh, you know, that's like $20,000. No, $7,000. $7,000. And, the studios were like, no fucking way. You did not make that for $7,000. And then he gets $7 million to go make Desperado. And he stretches that to make it look like $20 million. Um, So if you prove to the studios, you're like, look what I can do with and stretch this budget, make it look like this. And then I can, you know, give me, give me millions. I can do a bunch more. So it's like one of those guys that, yeah, should have had, I don't know. I'm looking at his movies. I don't think he's had like a, like a big movie that's played in theaters oh, no. or anything. No, no. Yeah. I think de de depraved is probably his, his widest release. Mm -hmm. um, but even in the last winter, Ron Perlman's, you know, is the star of that movie. Um, but so, so like, just listen to the movies that, that he is, that Larry has produced house of the devil, Ty West, mm -hmm. the innkeepers. Okay. Stakeland, late phases, good werewolf movie. I like that one. The ranger, fun little slasher. Darling, Mickey Keating. Um, let's see, that's more Mickey Keating. So, uh, oh, Foxhole, his son. You know, you, you, I don't know. You just have um, these people come out. It's like the the Corman School, right, right? All these people coming out of the Corman School learned how to make movies on the cheap. And it's like uh, the people coming out of the pheasant in school know how to make movies on the, on the cheap. And I think the one cool thing about Larry is that he holds no resentments towards these people. As far as I can tell in interviews and stuff, mm -hmm. he's like a proud Papa right. and, you know, <laughs> trains them and then sends them out into the wild to let them do their thing. And, you know, he's, he holds no resentments. He's just, he's very happy for these people. Uh, I, I think two other filmmakers, um, recent filmmakers to that sort of do that cheap, um, filmmaking and it proves exactly what you can do with no money. I think the battery, right. 
Oh yeah. Christian yeah. And, and Jeremy. Um, it, one of the greatest zombie movies in my opinion ever. And they made it for six grand. Right. And I think uh, Joe Begas, oh, all of his movies, he's my, yeah, like one of my, you know, but bliss another like right below habit for my favorite horror movie. Um, like they have no money and they go out and they shoot on film and they, they just, you know, it's just fucking punk rock from beginning to end and you do what you can with what you have. Uh, I'm always preaching about just go out and make your thing. These are the people going out and making (laughs) their thing and look how it fucking turns out that this is how, this is what passion gets you, right? You get a movie like habit, you get a movie like bliss or the battery. These people just want to make their thing. Mm -hmm. And Oh my God, we get these amazing things. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think I have heard him referred to as like, the father of the modern indie horror scene and all the stuff you just said really relates that because like these people have come come out of his like system i guess you could say or he works with them produces their movies mickey keating ty west uh i mean so that that almost is more what he's known for i feel like producing and even yep. acting than his yep. directing it's like um he's had a huge hand in just like the indie horror scene over the past yeah, two decades really like so i respect him for all that um i was gonna say like i I like him as an actor. I, I don't know if he's ever been better than he is in habit. Like, I feel like this is, Oh, he, yeah, I agree. This is like a pretty amazing performance. This time I think it was appreciated more, um, him and, uh, uh, Meredith Snyder, wherever he found her from, it's like, she really is like a vampire woman. I don't know. Yeah. Like (laughs) what, this is the only thing she's in, right? Is that, I I think think it's her only credit. And she even, she played the same part. We probably should bring up that he did a short film version of habit. Like, 13 years before in 82. It, yeah. Like, when it, it's his uh, film school, he made it in film school. Right. And this is where it began. And of course that's not any good, but it's really <laughs> cool watching it. You're like, Oh my God, look, look what he did. You know, it's just another uh, thing to be like, he went out and made his thing. He started with this really small, no budget thing and went out and yeah. made a micro budget thing. And it's, it's really, it's- yeah, and that's all she's been in is these two movies. And I'm like, yeah. why are you not in more movies? You're really good. Uh, they they're both really good. I thought like they have good chemistry. I was gonna. I don't know if you would know. I'm like, did they really date? Were they dating at the time? Because they. Oh. Okay. No, he's no, he's been married to uh, her name is Beck Underwood for years and years and years. Oh, okay. And they Beck Beck and Larry were married uh, during this. I think they got married in like '89. so they've been together forever wow well they yeah him and maris have great chemistry she really feels like she came out of truly like as a vampire and like comes out of nowhere and uh yeah i just love all the stuff with them just like it really feels like yeah you're like okay i just broke up with somebody but there's this exciting new person on the horizon a new uh prospective partner and it's like you don't know anything about them it's very mysterious it's like it's a big, it's a fling. You don't know where it's going to go. It's, it's all happening really hot and heavy, <laughs> but it's like, that's played so well. And then when the vampire perk comes in, you're like, oh shit. Now it's like, now we have this to deal with. And um, he plays that so well. I'm disgusted by the end when he's like ripping open like packages of meat and like drinking. Drinking the blood. And see, I, I don't know how he does that because he's he's been a vegetarian for years and years and years since he was in college. Oh, yeah. That's... And so obviously it's, it's <laughs> fake. 
blood because i mean you'd be getting sick as fuck if you're doing Ooh. that right yeah yeah, uh, yeah. but that's yeah, really gross <laughs> it's really disgusting gross. I, it's like that stuff curses me out more than like so many things like watching them get their head cut off in a horror movie or something. I mean, you drink the blood from like a package of raw meat. I'm like, well, I'm going to throw up. Yeah, like, g- give me, give me all the Fulci eye trauma before I, <laughs> I see someone lick the blood out of a steak. Ex- yes, exactly. I, uh, and I eat meat. I'm like a, I'm a red meat potatoes kind of guy, but I don't want to do it like that. It was funny because I, I watched something else and then, knew i knew there was some raw meat stuff i was like i gotta eat my lunch before i I can't be watching lunch and eat and or eating lunch and watch habit at the same time um because it'll gross me out um it's (laughs) they and they play that stuff so like subtly and it's very believable and yeah they play the his vampirism like it is like he might have an addiction problem or he might even be sick from might have aids or something yeah right right i mean they play it like that where it just seems very like Everyone would assume, and it's funny. Everyone's just kind of blowing it off on us. They're like, "Ah, he's just not feeling well for a few days." It's like he seems pretty sick, and they're just like, "It's like ah, he's just under the weather." It's like right. if someone says, "Oh, the season just changed." What? I don't start vomiting when the season changed. Like, right? Um, yeah. The, the one part where I'm like, Nick, you're a piece of shit friend, yeah. is when he comes <laughs> over at the end, and like that's when they sit down, and and Sam's like, you know, she's a vampire, a vampire. Yeah. And um. <laughs> That's the one line reading where I'm like, eh, didn't you want to do that again, Larry? <laughs> you want to take, take a second take on that one? Yeah. No, no uh, time, no money. Right. Like... Well, exactly. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're rolling film. We can't waste this shit. Um, <laughs> I'm like, Nick, this guy looks like shit. And right. you're just like, eh, just get over it. It's a broken heart. Yeah. And... You're sick of a broken heart now. The season's changed. Your heart's broken. <laughs> right. I'm like, Nick, come on in here. Like, I text Vinny every other day. I'm like, Hey, how you doing? You, you're doing all right. Just like out of, out of the blue. And here's Nick sitting across from his, his best friend, like with freaking suitcases under his eyes and he's <laughs> pale as shit. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah. He, he makes that transition. Well, I mean, Larry Fessenden, uh, uh, unconventionally, an unconventional leading man, but I, he's so interesting. But, looking. But that's the, I, that's, that's the great thing. Yeah. Like he's, um, he's got it all his voice he's done a lot of voice acting you know he's mm-hmm. the if you've ever seen southbound it's a great modern horror anthology by oh yeah yeah Sounds guys um or the, they're part of it um he does the the radio dj voice oh, okay he's got such a great voice um but like i love it when we see him leading like this jacob's wife from last year travis stevens movie him and Barbara, oh, Barbara yeah. Crampton are, are a married couple. He's a pastor. He's fucking awesome as a leading man because I think you're exactly right. He's interesting as hell. He's very unique looking and he's not like your typical leading man. And so I buy him in this role and habit. I buy him um, married to Barbara Crampton as hot as she is. And Jake's <laughs> wife. Um, you know, I, I love it when we get to see Larry as a leading like in have you ever seen jug face no i've never seen that one uh, jug face is good he's he's one of the lead characters in that and he's terrifying um yeah he's i, I love seeing larry when he's up front <laughs> and also very brave of him as a leading man this movie to run through the streets of new york city butt naked, naked it looks like. yeah wiener flapping and everything <laughs> like good for like, you 
wow, he really did this and probably with no permits. Like, I got to get the shot because I got to run through the streets butt naked. Exactly right. Yeah. I was like, I would not, Larry, but good on you. That's very brave. He's like, I got to make I mean, I, his commitment to making this movie is very clear. He's like, I'm going to make this movie no matter what. Um, I'll do anything. I'll do anything I need to do to get it made. Um, yeah, I, I really like it. I like it. Like I said, more than the first time I watch it. So I will. Do you have a favorite scene? Oh boy. Um, I'm trying to think. I was, I was going to mention, I really like the dream sequence on the boat. It's not my favorite scene, boat. but I was like really impressed by how he put that together and how it's yeah. shot. It's um, cool. It works really well. Super scary. Right. With that vampire, like that just peeking out from that coffin. I think that's one oh, of yeah. the scariest looking <laughs> images, like scariest images from a horror movie ever. I, it's pretty good. I was thinking there's a shot of her. It's very quick near the end. That yeah. kind of scared me. Yep. I was going to say, and this is not a knock because I don't watch horror movies to, to be, if they don't scare, it's like, how do I put this? If they don't scare me, they're not a failure basically. And I don't find right. habit very scary to me, no, but it, right. it's very subjective. What's scary. But um, I'm in it for so much more than that stuff. I mean, the scary part is just the idea of like that your health, I guess would be failing or that you'd be turning to something um, that you can't control. And you don't know what's going on. No one's going to believe you. All that stuff is like, the scary part of like he doesn't know what the fuck's going on it's like and i'm sure he thinks he's a vampire but it's like how do you even believe that you know for, for yourself you're like this is insane like um so i think it's i'm sure they favorite scene oh it's tough i do i remember i really just like the stuff early on when they're like first meeting it's like they're me cute but it's like when they're yeah. at the party at and the, then when he runs into her at the carnival at, at the carnival i really like that part yep and you can tell they had some, there's a kiss right away. This is the second time they've ever met. And they yeah. just like, there's some heat there. Um, it's yeah. All, I mean, just all that stuff. I really, really like is just them kind of, it's like a little romance movie <laughs> before it no, turns into it a full on vampire movie. Hey, spoilers, Vinny and I, tomorrow night, we're recording a movie, a uh, Patreon episode on romance movies. And I'm bringing this one up. It's one of oh, my favorite well, romance movies. It, it works for that for, quite a bit of the movie it's, like well it's a very sexy movie you know i think the 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 part where they they're having sex for the first time uh when she's on her period and like there's that sort of um uh wide shot down the hallway oh, right it's on the poster and some posters yeah 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 well, right yeah it's the header on um on the letterboxing here but yeah it's uh like they're like fucking down the hallway <laughs> like moving yeah. down the hallway like wow talent it's good for you too <laughs> it's like that you know um like yeah you know especially when people were younger and it's first started things are like i said hot and heavy it's hot like and heavy yeah you know that's they're they're capturing that that's why it was like they have really good chemistry they maybe hooked up or dated but it sounds like that probably was not the case so um but yeah i mean they, they're playing it great that's just good acting yep. so yeah. um i mean that stuff's all great i mean it's all very believable and all really well done um I do like the scene when the, I do like the scene at the cabin or long on Long Island when he's having like a nightmare or dream and she shows up like oh yeah mud or it's a, like, a little like, nod to Salem's Lot. Okay, it's, that's kind of what I was yep. thinking of. She pops up in the window first, and, and yeah, been, she, she looks like that's another creepy moment. That is creepy. That's why one of the creepier moments that I can think of. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I like it a lot. It's more rewarding on the second watch. Even yeah, now I'm thinking of like the addiction you know kind of stuff or the std stuff and it's funny because you don't even have to think about that stuff like because I, she is really a vampire but i that's i know i think i joke about this like hayden and mark a lot about how like 
a lot of modern horror movies especially are all about like um they're just kind of uh metaphors for grief or stuff yeah. like that right. and it's exactly. like sometimes the horror is not even really happening it's all in their mind but like in habit it's like no no she is really a vampire right. <laughs> like there's really it's, there's no cheat it's like she really exists um this is really right. happening to him yeah exactly like like this is this is a vampire movie and the grief or the addiction or the the aids thing that's the metaphor that's the allegory right as yes. opposed to the modern movies where the allegory is is the actual horror part right, right? yes so no yeah yeah this is i mean it's first and foremost it's a vampire movie it's about vampires right <laughs> yeah and again i don't know what was in the water in new york city like in the 90s i don't want to make these vampire movies i only know of three i say all of them but i know of this one the addiction and night owl well which have is- you seen death by temptation I have seen that one too. I forgot about that one. I, I don't know. You know, is is that a vamp? That's more of a demon sort of. I don't oh, know. That's true. Like I mean, a succubus. Is that what's succubus, going on? Succubus. I yeah. mean, it's they're all kind of but, they all sort of fall in that category, though. Yeah. yeah. And the weird thing about like Night Owl and Addiction and this are like they're all very cheaply made and made in New York City. And I think Night Owl and this are both on sixteen millimeter. Yeah. I don't know about the Addiction. Um, two of them are in black and white. The Addiction Night Owl. It's like there's these weird overlapping. And and metaphors for things like addiction, very clearly, it's in the title, the addiction. Right. It's yeah. Very clearly a metaphor for addiction. Um, and that one's interesting to compare to this one because this one ends with Larry Feston uh, killing himself or, you know, dying. It's how she might. But the other one, addiction ends with spoiler for the addiction. But it's like getting clean. It's like it's like those are the the two alternatives. It's like get clean or or, you know possibly die it's just uh, that's i mean uh, honest to god you know being being in a program <laughs> those are the two directions that you have you, you don't like i'm just going to be high and drunk and like live my life forever no you either get clean or, <laughs> or you head down a really dark road one or the other has to happen and uh yeah i would recommend you see night owl because i think you would like i it. just yeah okay i see it's on, it's on tubi it's on my watch list now i okay good john Leguizamo, <laughs> i gotta watch this yes if yeah, we were recording a- another show right after this i'd be watching night owl <laughs> tomorrow and it's like a huge year for john Leguizamo. they got him like right i think before he broke i think that's the year he's in carlito's way Okay. And Super Mario Bros. <laughs> what a what a year! The breakout um, movie, the Super breakout. Mario Bros. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, kind of a fun movie. Might do a podcast on it at some point. <laughs> do an episode. I, I've never seen it, so I can't oh, okay. Speak. I know. I'll, I'll find. I, that might be a Keith episode. He's he's nineties right. nostalgia. He's be Keith's uh, forte, but um, but yeah, it's this weird thing. But I I don't know. I just like the setting. I like the characters. That's the thing with becoming a favorite movie. I feel like you have to really fall in love with the characters or be invested oh, yeah, in the characters absolutely. and it becomes yeah. like a hangout thing after a while and clearly you're at that point i'm not quite there yet but i think if i continue to watch it which i definitely think after a day i was like i could definitely watch this well i i think that, yeah. that's the thing about habit like not every movie is sort of this character study or gives you the characters that you want to hang out with right i think <laughs> habit gives us that like that's what pheasant does in all of his movies he gives us characters that are interesting maybe they're not super likable or they're they're really really fucked up or broken but you still want to spend time with them and uh like i love sam so much that i just you know i want to god that's why you know i get te- <laughs> I, I don't fall on sob but i get teary-eyed at the end of habit every time i watch it because it's like god this guy who's my friend is fucking dead now. Yeah, you know, it's a it, very it, tragic ending. And, is, yeah. and again, 
I love the tragic endings. So perfect. Another thing that that right up my alley here. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh it's a very good movie. People need to see it. And like I said, it's it is available to see now, like on AMC Plus for sure, Shudder, I Shutter, believe. Yeah. Um either one of those. I'm trying to see if anywhere else. Let's say you still can't like pay to rent it on Amazon, but um it's at least it's available somewhere because like before, again, it wasn't available anywhere. So I bought a whole $40 Blu-ray set just to watch it. So yeah. um, the other two on there, No Telling, which you kind of mentioned briefly. And I forgot the name of the other one. I think it's also uh, Last end. Winter. Oh, Last Winter. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite of those two? Or uh, No like Telling. Go? No, I got, it goes uh, Habit, No Telling, uh, Last Winter, Wendigo for me. I like oh. them all. I like them all. The, okay. the rest of them are four-star <laughs> movies. Habit, of course, is a five-star. Um, I like them all. But No Telling is is a definite second place in the set. It's uh, it's really good. Okay. I'll have to watch that one soon because I have the other two I haven't seen. I've seen Wendigo and Habit. And it's the other two. So um, I need to check those out. But um, anything else you want to say about Habit? I don't want to cut you off too soon because I know you, oh. you love this movie. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I, you know, I just, I encourage people to seek it out, you know, sign up for Shudder for, for a month. If, if you're not a member, you know, it's five bucks. Why not? It's a, uh, it's scary movie month. So uh, jump on, jump on the train and watch, watch Habit because it's so interesting it's not a boring movie it's interesting it might feel a little long in some parts but it's never boring i don't think it's ever boring yeah i don't think i don't think it's boring i would say yeah sometimes it's a little slower but i don't think it's even that it's not that bad I, it's like it was those were minor nitpicks i said right. a couple but i don't yeah i don't think it's ever boring it's right. pretty interesting the performances yep. are interesting um yeah it's a it's a very different movie, and it definitely is underseen, under talked about. Like, if if Danny Perry was still writing cult movies books, I feel like Habit would fit right in to uh, to that. Because I think you're right. Yeah, it feels very cult movie ish. Um, I would say one more thing. I forgot what it was. Um, oh, also, I think it'd be good if you're watching horror movies all October to throw Habit on because it kind of breaks it up a little bit because it's not a very traditional horror movie. Like we said, in the first half, you're like, am I watching like a New York? romance you know um oh but great halloween atmosphere to start off i forgot about all that stuff the halloween party isn't that party that party's great it's isn't great it? i love that image uh right might be during the or very beginning of the movie when Nuri Feston's walking around new york and he sees like that kid with that a devil kid. mask and yeah. balloon because there's some great halloween stuff i forgot about that mentioning that so um, I, I will yeah. say I, I have been in new york city uh, during the Halloween season, and it's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really great during this the Halloween season in New York City, and and you get a great glimpse of that in this movie. I've only been once, and it was in June, so that was like <laughs> it was just really hot, is all I remember. Um, but that would be cool to be in New York during Halloween. So, um, yeah, it was good Halloween stuff. What, what more could you want? It's a non <laughs> non conventional horror movie that has Halloween stuff give it a shot uh yep. it's like so i'm glad we talked about it because it's not talked about nearly enough by by anyone really so um yeah this was so much fun um anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up or i don't know that's all i got okay um very cool so i'm glad we finally talked about habit i think this was like a year in the making or something yeah 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 it was last last uh... i was like we'll do it next uh next october yeah so i i stay true to my word i <laughs> appreciate that matt you're welcome. <laughs> uh, well, go ahead and just plug. People can find you, stuff you're working on, the podcast, all that good stuff. <laughs> uh, Cult Movies Podcast. We release new episodes every Sunday. We're in the fourth season. 
And uh, about halfway through, we are taking a couple of the last couple of weeks of October off as a mid-season break. Um, and so we're, we're about halfway through the season. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Cult Movies Pod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at A.K. Donnelly, A-K-D-O-N-E-L-L-Y. And uh, come say hi. And let me know if you watch Habit for the first time or if, if you've seen this movie. I would love to hear people's thoughts on this on Habit. Yeah. Oh, same here. They should they should message us. I want I want yeah. I want feedback. Um or just comment Twitter comments, something. Uh, but I hope people are pushed to watch it now. Hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so okay, great. Everyone should be following you, listening to cult movies, F this movie, all the good stuff. Uh, you do lots of good work. So um for our stuff, the usual, um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Film Feast Pod. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Matblood87. Uh, you can follow me and the podcast on Instagram at Film Feast all one word uh and that's it for this week we'll be back next week with another uh, horror movie episode for october so talk to you guys next time bye everybody bye